few things. One, well, actually one thing. I don't usually do this, um, but I'm not going to ask anything else of him today. But I just wanted to kind of mention to you this uh, handsome gentleman in the orange shirt right over here is Mark Jones, and he is working with Fellowship of Christian Athletes in our area. And how many of you have ever heard of Fellowship of Christian Athletes? And how many of you ever heard of that up here, or did you hear about it when you were down south somewhere? Okay, so up here, it, it's, a, it's an amazing opportunity, an amazing ministry to try and come alongside of students, uh, of athletes of, of all different kind of levels and calibers. But my work, you know, working with the hockey team for the last six years, um, has really kind of shown me what a door there is for this. And uh, Mark's kind of leading that up for what? Northeast? So just a little bit of territory, just a little little ground. But I just want to ask you to pray for him, for his family, uh, just as, as they're kind of working, doing this ministry. Uh, that's all I'm going to do to him. Uh, just I figured I'd mention it to let you guys... What's that? There we go. I, get, I did. I threw, in a, I threw that in. <laughs> but I, I just wanted to kind of alert you, if you, just in case you sit there and go, you know what, I want to talk with him. Uh, again, not to put too much work or anything else on him. I want them to be just, you know, blessed and, and encouraged today. But I also just figured I'd uh, give you guys the opportunity. We've got a few things that we're working on for this summer. Wanted to let you know uh, I'm in contact with Paul Vite, and some of you guys know Paul, but Paul's ministry is especially to combat this mindset that comes today that says science completely rules out the idea that God create, created the world. So on a Sunday morning uh, this summer, hopefully in the middle of June, we're going to have Paul come and share with us. It's a great opportunity to invite a friend or family member, someone who doesn't even agree um, and it's also a way just to be strengthened and encouraged in our faith that way. I also wanted to mention that at the end of July, the last Sunday in July, the first two weeks in August, Heath Roberts is going to be preaching. And you know, a lot of you guys know Heath, and, and uh, Heath's just, he grew up here, and uh, God's been working in his life. He's pastored a church, uh, but uh, right now God's actually got him in the jail down in, in uh, Cumberland County, and uh, not as a prisoner, he works there, um, but but he carries out a really kind of unique ministry that way, and uh, so we just, we kind of said, man, you know, we'd love to just let you have a chance to preach for a couple weeks uh, to really get to kind of build a theme in a series, so you want to make sure you have time for that, and then Corey and Katie Garrett are going to be here the, uh, the mid-20th of August, and uh, I don't remember the date right off the top of my head, but uh, Corey and Katie are going to be here. From Senegal, if you noticed on our Facebook page, I put up a kind of a, a video, a music video that was produced in Senegal about Senegal, and having been there and seeing the country and what God's doing there, um, just keeps our hearts there. So I want to encourage you guys to to come learn more and be part of that as well. So that's kind of an update of some of the things that we've just got that are that are rolling out there for us. Let me pray for us, and then we're gonna do. Uh, we're, we're kind of looking at Acts, but there's a question that comes out of the section of Acts that we're in as we get in Acts 28 that I feel like we have to cover. So we're going to take a, uh, a sideline jog to John today, okay? So we're going we're to jump over to John chapter 15, uh, and I'll explain a little bit more in just a minute. Father, help us, we pray today. 
Holy Spirit, we pray that you would just open the eyes of our hearts and our minds. Lord, help us to be uh, listeners who pay attention to your word, who are grown by your word, who love you because of your word, and who love others because of your word. Jesus, we're just asking that you would do that kind of miraculous work in us today. We pray it in your name. Amen. So we're in the book of Acts at the end of 28. And like we said, the Apostle Paul now has been really for the last two and a half years traveling to Rome. But the way that he went to Rome was by being arrested, falsely accused. He was, there, was an, there were at least two different attempts on his life. Uh, and that doesn't include how many people really just wanted to kill him. Okay, But there were at least these two specific events where they, they tried to kill him. And then uh, we see that he gets embroiled in the judicial system and can't get an answer. Even though everybody admits right up front that he's done nothing that deserves to be in jail, he's certainly done nothing that deserves death, he gets mired down in the whole red tape of this thing. So he shows up to this meeting, he shows up to this meeting, he's sharing Christ through all this, but it's not the way that we said that we would go if we were trying to bring in a guest speaker. Uh, we don't really want Corey and Katie to come through this means, right? Then as he finally has the chance, he appeals to Caesar, he's headed to Rome, what happens? There was that massive storm and shipwreck, right? Where their very lives were threatened. All 276 people on this boat were, were sure that they were going to die and by the hand of God, they're brought to Malta, where they then spend another three months on an island they don't intend to be on. And then we turned the corner where they finally were able to get onto a ship. The winds blew the right way, and it got them right up there, and he is standing outside the edge of Rome. Here's the question for you. Has it not hit you somewhere in here that you kind of thought to yourself, is Paul doing the right thing? Has it hit you yet? I mean, we, we, have, we have messengers, prophets who came to Paul and bound his hands and said, this is what's going to happen to you if you go to Rome. And worse, do, do you wonder, is, is it possible that it went through his head and that it went through others' heads to say, maybe when he got to the shipwreck, maybe that's where God was finally going, look, Paul, I don't want you going there. Did it go through your head at all? I'm sure... It has. And in our own lives, right? Because when we, when we face turmoil, what do we tend to think? When life gets difficult, when it gets hard, when, when this is no longer easy, when we're in the middle of that storm, what's our first thought process? I must not be doing what God wants me to do. Why? Because what's the sign that I'm doing what God wants me to do? What's that? Prosperity, right? Things line up easily. The, the road is paved and clear. Uh, things go well for me. Now, that might be a little bit of an overstatement, but let's just check ourselves for a second. The last time things went terribly hard or difficult for you, did, did you get to the point where you kind of thought that maybe God's trying to say something to me? Did that happen? Anybody? Am I the only one? I think, I think there's quite a few of us where that, where that happens. I want to ask this question because this is so critical for our lives. When we face turmoil, what is it trying to communicate to us? 
Is turmoil a sign that God is not working? Is turmoil a sign that we should not be here? When we face difficulties and hardships. So that's kind of the key question. If you're not in the middle of turmoil, if you're not facing difficulties right now, this is super practical because you will, right? You know, there's going to be a time where you're going to go out and try and start the car. And it's not going to be a really big thing, but all of a sudden it's not going to start. And in my life, what that usually translates into is I don't use it there and say, Oh God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's usually a lot shorter than that. I say it with just the word like, that, that's usually it. But it means the same thing, doesn't it? God, I have such good plans, and you're standing in the way of them. Turmoil. This kind of confusion, this is a problem. And God, if you were for me, you'd make things clear. Well, what I want to do today is I want to turn to John chapter 15, and I want to really just look at the first eight verses of John chapter 15. This passage is pretty familiar. But I want to let you know that turmoil is going to give a good evaluation. It's diagnostic. But turmoil also leads to one consistent response from us. Okay, So I want to show you the diagnostic part, and then I also want to show you uh, what our calling is, what our response is to be. Let's just draw this out. So let's think through the book of John real quickly, because I know, you know everybody here sits there and goes, oh yeah, I'm a Bible scholar, I know exactly how to... You know, I, I was just thinking about my timeline of John and my brain last night, right? Everybody, right? That's what's going through. Okay, so let's just try and take a look. John's different, right? John is different because in this entire gospel... The first half of the book, the first, say, 13, 12 chapters are about sort of the life of Jesus. The rest of the entire book is the last week, okay, and then crucifixion and after of Jesus' life. So a significant amount of focus goes on these last days, even the last day of Jesus' life. So to show you that, John chapter 13 is when... um, is when they go into the upper room and Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Remember, that was the night that Jesus was going to be betrayed and would be crucified the next day. So that's John chapter 13 that this happens. Okay? Um, Jesus goes, he meets. What kind of, um, what kind of turmoil was about to hit Jesus' life? In John chapter 13. He goes up, he washes the disciples' feet. What happens next? Just real super brief, what happens next? Alright, I, you know, I know you guys know this, so I'm not letting you off on it. Judas is going to go out filled with, the, with Satan, you know, indwelled by Satan, and he's going to betray him. And then what's going to happen? He's going to be arrested for no good reason. And he's going to be brought to false trials. Notice that there's a lot of similarities to Paul's life. That's not a mistake. Okay? There's a lot of similarities to Paul's life to Jesus's rather than the other way around. Really important for us to, to, to clarify that. Um, Luke wants us to see how many places those tie together. Jesus is going to go into an incredible period here, isn't he? Of turmoil. And let's just kind of remember, after they have the Passover supper, 
They sing a hymn. They leave. They're going to head up to the Mount of Olives. They're going to go through a vineyard. And Jesus probably takes this setting in John chapter 15 to do some teaching with his disciples. All right? So let me just read John chapter 15 and uh, give us just a little picture here. Again, first eight verses is all we're going to look at today. Jesus says to them, I'm the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit. So, so let's get this right. Who's the vine? Jesus. Who takes care of the vine? The father does. Where do we come into this image? Okay, we're the branches that are what? Growing out of the vine. Okay, so I just want to make sure we're, we're, we're on that, right? Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he does what? Takes away, is what this translation says. Every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes. That it may bear more fruit. And he goes on in verse 3, he says, Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Verse 4, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered They're thrown into the fire, and they're burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So let's kind of start at the very end there. What is the purpose of our lives? In verse 8. Somebody said it. What's that? Okay, to be connected to the vine so that we do what? What does verse 8 say? There's, we're supposed to bear much fruit, right? That's, that's the calling Jesus wants for our lives. The reason that we are Christians, the reason that we've been adopted into God's family is so we can be incredibly fruitful. Let's not forget that that's exactly what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. By this will my Father be glorified, because notice that that's in here too, right? By this will my Father be glorified if you live such good lives before non-believers that they see your good works and do what? Give glory to your Father who's in heaven. So the very purpose of our existence is to be incredibly productive. Turmoil makes me feel like I'm not productive. Right? The, the, the American mindset is the less turmoil, the more the doors just open up in front of me, then I can be really productive, then I can be really successful. But the question is, is that really true? We're going to see in the passage today that there's a couple different things that we really need to understand this. But I want us to see, number one, just a reminder, our purpose is to live, to give glory to God by being incredibly productive. And by productive, I don't mean just busy. It's to live such good lives. It's to be people of such love. It's to be uh, overflowing in good works. So maybe you don't stand up in front of a microphone and speak in front of thousands of people. If you get to speak in front of a two-year-old, you may be living an incredibly good life that bears a lot of fruit. 
If you're compassionate towards a neighbor who's in need, if you can bring a word of blessing, remember last week we talked about those rhythms, right, of bless that should mark our lives. You can be incredibly fruitful that way. So don't just picture this as somebody who gets the stage. There are some people who that's their job. But Jesus says, for you, for where you're at, I want you to bear much fruit. So how often have you seen it? Now, again, I'm not like a farmer. I don't even know if grape like herding is actually like farming. I don't know. What do you, what do you call that, Ivan? Is that, you know, is that a farmer thing or a vine dresser thing? I, I don't know. Obviously, I'm betraying my total lack of knowledge on this entire area here. So I've been doing reading to try and get more. So the things that I'm sharing, some of the key thoughts are going to flow out of, uh, there's a great book that um, Wilkinson wrote called Secrets of the Vine. I encourage you to read that. The, the, the Prayer of Jabez one, let's forget about that one. But the Secrets of the Vine one, really valuable, okay? So uh, there are a couple of different things, trying to read up and learn a little bit more about these as we go through, because I am not like a vine dresser. I know nothing about this. But let's just take a guess. How often do you think that little vine branch sits there and says, you know what, this year I'm going to produce about like 60 grapes. Do you think they keep little, like, like you know, get their pen and their paper or their, or their, uh, their laptop out and kind of type up some goals? Last year was 50, this year they do 55, maybe next year they do 60. Do you think that's how it works for them? How do they become more productive? Whose job is that? The vine dresser. Because who really knows how to get the most out of a vine branch? This professional, this knowing, this caring expert who's given his life to take care of that. And who's the vine dresser? The father. So let's just keep that in mind as we take a look. Let me show you a couple of things. The, the first thing I want us to see is this turmoil kind of an idea. So take a look at, at John chapter 15. He says this, Every branch that does not bear fruit, he lifts up or he takes away. Now we saw some of them. What happens is this. Uh, if anyone does not abide in me, in verse uh, what is that, 6, He's thrown away like a branch and he withers and then those branches are gathered and thrown into the fire. Anything kind of frightening about that? Because what's he saying? There are things that look like vines and they're not vines. And if they're not really grapevines, if they're not really attached to the vine, they die. And when they die, what happens? They're taken away. This term literally is lifting up. And that term is a really important one. It is absolutely certain in this passage that he is at least talking about one thing, but there is a second alternative that's important to understand. The first one is this. If we have a branch that's in me, notice that term, in me, and yet that branch doesn't bear fruit and it dies, how are we supposed to understand that? Because some people would look at this and say, ah, oh, see, this means that somebody can, can come to Christ and then they can lose their faith. So somebody can trust Jesus and they can, they can be adopted and then they can be unadopted and then be taken back out of the family. Is that what happens? Well, I think it's important for us to understand this. In the book of John, 
John is constantly presenting this idea that there are disciples who are not disciples. He's constantly presenting the idea that there are believers who are not believers. What he's trying to show us is that there are people who follow, people who show up, people who attend, people who go to Bible studies, people who sing Christian music or listen to Christian music, people who are not really connected to the vine, people who are not alive, they haven't been adopted into the family. And there is a clear sense of warning here. We believe the Bible is clear that God has chosen a people for himself, that God gives them his son, and that that son is able to keep them forever. They become part of God's family. They become, uh, when they become that, when they are born, they are alive, and that is in the Father's hand, and no one can take them out of the Father's hand. But there's also another group that has an attachment or an interest or a connection to Jesus. They're kind of a disciple. They're kind of a believer. But they're not saved. They're not adopted. They're not part of the family. And the real difference here is abiding and fruit bearing. Do they abide in the vine and do they bear fruit? So like I said, Jesus wants us to understand that there are some branches that are in him that are not really branches in him. There are disciples, and then there are true disciples. There are believers, and then there's true believers. This passage is supposed to function as a warning for us. If you are a true believer, what would your faith do with a warning like this? It would automatically look up and go, Oh, no, no, no. Well, I don't want that. Father, please don't let there be any way that that would happen in my life. God, is there fruit in my life? God, am I abiding in you? Please help me. I need to. I want to. Please don't let me be that branch that's removed. There's a warning. This tool, we're going to find out, though, that tends to identify this as turmoil. It's not when life is going really well. It's not when pieces fall into place. It's not when the new pavement is on the road. And everything's nice and smooth. What I've seen in people who have followed Jesus and then walked away, they were part of us, like we saw in 1 John, but they weren't of us. Usually turmoil. Internal turmoil. Maybe they just don't like what somebody's saying or the way that somebody treated them. But there's some sort of turmoil that rises up. That's part of what this passage is talking about. But this term in verse 2, let me also say this, this lifts up is also an important term. This term gets used other places throughout the New Testament. Specifically, instead of throws away, the idea is of lifting up. That's an interesting picture, right? So say you have this grapevine. All right? Again, I'm trying to picture these things because I don't really know much about them, but I'm trying to picture them. Tracy went out last year and because Ron told her where to go, she found all these natural grapes that were growing out in the wild. And she came home with like a basket full of these conquered grapes and she made grape jelly and all this. Other. So we saw what this fruit kind of looks like. And I'm, now I'm super intrigued because I'm like, I didn't think stuff like that even grew in the wild. And it does. 
Uh, so, so I'm kind of picturing this, but imagine you go out to that wild grapevine and you see it laying there. You're going to have some branches that go up, right? But then you're going to have some branches that lay really low to the ground. And they're caked with mud. And they're not getting sunlight in them. If you're a vine dresser, what do you do with that vine? Okay? There's going to be a pruning process involved, potentially. But do you just get rid of that? Do you throw that out? You lift it up. And what would you do if you were going to lift that up? You get it up out of the mud, right? One of the guys I was reading says they take a bucket, they lift up a branch, because a branch like that's too valuable. You don't just hack it off and throw it away, like, oh, I've got a couple more. What's he into? He's not into piles of burning brush. He's not into zorch pits. He's into grape growing. So when he sees that low branch that's down there, and it's not bearing fruit, what does he do? He lifts it up, he takes that bucket of water, he cleans off that, those leaves, and then what does he do? He lifts it up, he attaches it to whatever trellis or whatever else it is that's holding that thing up so that that branch can be lifted up, can be raised up, right? The newer branches are the ones that struggle the most with this. The weaker. What's the result of that? Quite often, in a short amount of time, they go from bearing no fruit to beginning to thrive. Beginning to grow. When he says here that the Father lifts them up, it's important that we see that aspect of this as well. It's clear in verse 6 that for some this is a winnowing process. But for some of us, when we look up and say, you know what, there's no fruit in my life, Sometimes the reason for that is that those leaves of our lives are covered. What's the dirt that covers the leaves of our lives that keep air and light from getting in? Sin. In some of our lives, the reason that the branch of our life is languishing and no fruit is developing is that there's a real sin problem. There's something that we've embraced. There's something that we love. There's something that we're going after that is harmful to the life of, to our life. It's, it's harmful to our connection to the vine. Turmoil is one of the tools that God uses, though. Sometimes God sends turmoil into our lives so that we can stop and look. Because what he's saying is, Mark, what you're doing, the reason you have this turmoil in life, the reason you have this turmoil in relationship is there's a sinful attitude that you've allowed to grow up here. There's something that's happening here. There's a radical self-centeredness that is poisoning your health. And what do I need? I need to be cleansed. I need to be lifted up. I need special care. It's sort of funny because, you know what? Uh, if you guys haven't noticed it yet, there's a lot of sinners in this church. We, we, you know, it, it happens, right? And in fact, what we've seen as we go through the last couple of years is that God has been deeply at work in us. We use the term flipping over the rock of our lives, right? But there's a lot of times, like when you go down to the creek 
and you go over, you flip over a rock, what happens when you flip it over? All these little things go, you know, flying out from underneath it. They were all hidden from sight, but the second you flip that rock over, things go crawling out. Well, God has been in the process at Wyndham Baptist Church of loving us so deeply that He has consistently flipped over the rocks in some of our lives. Now, We've heard people outside the church say, wow, there must be a real problem with Wyndham Baptist because, man, there's so many people who, who God's, you know, that, that, that there's, there's so many sinners there. Literally. <laughs> Someone said that. There must be like a demonic spirit over our church because there's so many sinners there. But we look at it more like, okay, if you work in an oncology ward, what would you expect people to come with? With cancer. Would you be surprised if there were a bunch of people in one place that their cancer was being treated and they were being helped and that they were being brought back to health in one place. No, you would not. Now, if you went to Disney World and you saw a whole bunch of people getting cancer there, you might be kind of concerned, right? But when you go to the oncology ward, you sit there and go, man, that's what we are made for. Part of what God's calling us to. It is an act of love when your oncologist says, this is what I need, this is what we need to do. This is the treatment. We need to remove this from you. That's love. God's working here. So this first part that we need to see is he's going to use um, this whole sense of turmoil to be able to address for some of our lives here that there's an area of sin that we might think I've got under control, that we might think nobody else knows about, that we might think that God says, you know what, you can have that and have me. And God says, no, I love you too much. I'm going to lift you up. I'm going to wash that off. I'm going to bring you back to health, and I'm going to allow you to start to thrive. That's God's purpose. So when God identifies sin in our lives and brings it into the open, it's not because He doesn't love us. It's because He wants to cause us to grow and bear fruit. Can you believe that today? We have to be careful if we're one of the branches that's not low to not look at some of the low branches. They cut it off. These branches are precious to the vine dresser. The question is, is there a work that's being done? Are they responsive? I'm so thankful that so many of you have been so responsive when God has brought us through some of these things. I see a deepening holiness. I see a deepening love and humility. That's important. Let's hit the second part just so we can keep moving along here because there's, there's one part where it's lifting up, but there's a second part and we need to understand this through, through the turmoil that we face because he also says every branch that does bear fruit, he does what? He prunes. There's a second aspect, right? Now, this is what I was reading. It says this. Because of the grapes' tendency to grow so, uh, the grapevine's tendency to grow so uh, vigorously, a good vine dresser knows he's got to actually cut away a lot every year. Grapevines can become so dense that the sun can't reach into the areas where the sun is supposed, where the fruit should form. And left to itself, a grape plant will always favor new growth over more grapes. So what's it doing? That little vine is sending off little shoots, little areas that it's got to be involved in, new little projects that it's got to take care of, 
things that are, are really important to it, right? But those little shoots that are all coming off of there, what are they doing? They're sapping energy from the real fruit that it's supposed to bear. So what, is, what does the Father love to do? Father loves to come along and actually prune. Without that pruning, what do you end up with? You end up with this, with this grapevine that looks really awesome. When you look at it from the outside, you're like, look at all the growth. It's just going everywhere, man. This is, this is amazing. But what does, the grape, what does the vine dresser see? A lack of fruit. That it could be, it, it could actually have more fruit. It could bear more fruit if he were to cut away those unnecessary shoots. There you go. See, I don't, but, but see, that's it. I know some of you guys know this. So, so same thing with tomatoes and strawberries. Okay, good. See, this is good stuff to know. Uh, again, with, with my gardening experience is essentially when Tracy says, carry that here or put that down there. So, you know, that, that's about my thing. If Tracy was here, she'd be able to go, yes, this is exactly how this works. And some of you guys know it too. So I just want to make sure people know for sure I am no expert in, in all this. I'm just taking experts' opinions on this. Um, so pruning is one of the most important techniques if you really want a plentiful harvest. And in Christian lives, sometimes we have this rampant growth, but what it really is is a preoccupation. It's these new kind of priorities, these new things that we want to try or take on, but they're not actually the places we're supposed to be really bearing fruit in. So notice that we've got, we've got this lifting up, which, which we could use the biblical term discipline. Sin needs to be disciplined so that we can repent and move on. But we also have this idea of pruning. So if discipline is about sin, pruning is about self. In pruning, God's going to ask you to kind of let go of some of the things that keep you from His purpose. From his kingdom purpose. And that also would keep you away from your own ultimate good. So God uses that. So let's just kind of define the difference here. Like we said, we're going back to Paul and we're thinking, okay, Paul would look at his own life. We'd say shipwreck. We'd say being on Malta. We'd say two and a half years in the court system. We'd say all these false trials, all these false accusations, murder threats, all these kind of things. Paul would kind of weigh in his life. All right, is this, if he used the same framework of, of John chapter 15, is this discipline or is this pruning? Is this lifting up or is this being uh, snipped back? So let's just kind of take a couple of things that we can distinguish these things from, right? Um, the first thing you want to do is we're just going to, right up front, we're going to admit, you know what, God, I know you're trying to get my attention. Turmoil comes into our lives as a way to try and get us to suddenly stop and go, whoop, okay, you're saying something. I need to be quiet and not be saying what I'm saying inside. God, you're getting in my way. I need to instead go, okay, God, would you just speak to me? Because I, I really want to hear. I don't want this season of turmoil to go to waste. Amen? I don't want this season of turmoil to go to waste. The second thing we need to do is trust. Remember that the gospel is repent, 
Believe the gospel and then trust, follow, do what Jesus said. So we need to engage in this trust uh, mentality. And what we're going to do is we're going to trust that a loving dad will always tell his kids what it is he wants them to know. Do you believe that? Believe that your heavenly father is not moody, trying to keep you guessing, so you've got to figure out, wow, what, what, what is it that ticked him off today? Like we might do as human beings. But instead, that you have a loving father who's going to tell his child why he's being corrected. And he wants you to know. And he wants you to know whether you're experiencing discipline or pruning. Can we trust that? The third thing is, ask God to help us to answer this question. God, is there, a, is there an area of sin that's causing you to discipline me? And would you open my eyes to see it? Because God, it, it happens. There's times where there's sin in my life that I think I can handle. It, it's like having a pet cobra. I think I know how to take care of this thing. Mark and I were watching a movie last night, and at this one point, this space alien cobra comes up to the guy, and the dude kind of reaches his hand out. Internally, you're all like, don't put your hand in front of that thing, okay? There's no way this turns out good for you. But spiritually, sometimes we sit there and think, no, I can take care of this. I know how to handle this. Instead, what we do is we pray, God, would you just, would you show me? I need help. Could you show that to me? If we conclude that we're being disciplined, then sin is the problem. What do we do? Repent. Believe the gospel and follow Jesus. That's the great privilege we have. You'll never regret that. You'll never regret it. But if we conclude that we're being pruned, as I look at Paul's life in the book of Acts, I don't see a sin problem here. I don't see a guy who's willful and determined. I see a guy who is all about Jesus. It's all he can talk about is Jesus. And anywhere he goes, I see a guy who's filled with humility. I don't see a sin problem, so I don't think that what Paul's doing here is God trying to say, hey, Paul... You know, I threw a shipwreck at you. I threw all these things at you. I'm trying to get you to stop. Instead, I see somewhere where God says, Paul, you know what? I'm trying to make you more effective. I want you to bear more fruit. So this shipwreck is going to be one of the ways that I prune back your life so you can bear more fruit. But it calls on that right response, right? God, is there something that you want me to get rid of? Is there something that I've made into a pet project? Or is there something that I've identified in myself where I kind of say, hey, but I told people I was going to do this. Have you ever run into that? I told everybody I was going to be a jet pilot. So now I have to be one someday when I grow up. You have no chance of being that. But, but there's some times where we sit there and go, well, I told people this, so now I'm locked into it. I had a mentor of mine named Frank, and I just remember one time I told him something like that. He said, well, that'll teach you not to say stupid things. That was kind of a short answer, but he was right. There's some areas where God, you know, am I willing to just go, okay, God, is there something you want me to let go of? Is there something that to me seems valuable, important, that I'm trying to get it moving? And you're saying, look, I want you to bear fruit. You need to let go of that. I'm pruning you in that area. Do you see the difference? Let me ask you this question. Have you seen pruning in your life? Have you seen discipline? 
Is there an area you need to respond to God in today? Is there something he's been kind of raising up for you? A couple other things I just want you to see. This will kind of end it for us. Number one, I want you to see in verse 3. Notice he says this. He says, already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. What he's saying is there is a positional, real, now holiness that Jesus has brought into your life if you're connected to the vine. It's already there. It's not what it will be someday, but it's already there. You are holy, chosen, and dearly loved. Sometimes as Christians, we focus on all of our failures instead of seeing what Jesus actually said about who we are. The second thing that I want us to see is this. There's one command in here. Notice, like I said, vines don't sit down and make up their lists. They don't have their workouts about how they're going to bear a little more fruit this year. They're not doing stretches to see if they can get a couple more grapes or whatever like that. That's not what vines do. The vine dresser takes care of that. But vines do have one command in this passage. You know what the command is? There's one word in here that's actually a command. It's abide. Verse 4, abide in me. Abide in me. It's not a suggestion. It's not a request. It's a loving father saying, this is what has to be your number one priority in life. Now, let's draw this out for a second. If you have a kid and you want them to eat ice cream, how many times do you have to command them to eat ice cream? It doesn't seem to take much, does it? All right? Or, or M&M's. Or it uh, seems like sit and watch endless, tedious hours of TV. That, you know, it doesn't seem like you have to command them to do that very often, right? How about get out of bed? What do I have to command? I have to command the thing that's good for them, but that they don't enjoy. I don't have to command Mark to eat ice cream. But I do have to command him to get out of bed in the morning, right? I have to command him maybe to eat candy or watch TV, or YouTube for endless hours. But I do have to command him to, like, make his room, uh, clean up his room. This is the reality that I command someone to do something that is not going to necessarily come naturally. But when we go through turmoil, when we go through life, the automatic response tends to be to go back to what we know we should do. We need to be proactive. The Father pursues, the Father initiates, but our role is to respond. Our job is to go back and to keep abiding, to keep coming back to the vine, to actively walk in step with the Holy Spirit. To abide, we have to act. That's why this is a command. If it was a natural thing, Jesus wouldn't need to command it, would he? So what do we have to do to abide? Well, we spend time in the Word. So, so this is going to be super not satisfying for you. You know, oh, I already know those answers. Good. You know what? The answers we know are the right ones. I need to spend time in the Word so that I get to know who the Father. So I get to know the vine dresser. So I get to know 
who God is and what he's done. I need to know what he says about who I am. I need to know what he's calling on me to do. So I need to spend regular time in the Word. I can't look up and just think, oh yeah, well, I read that once. I connect with Jesus through the Word. I also connect to Jesus through what? Prayer. Prayer is another necessary aspect. Not just when I'm driving. Not just when it pops into mind. That will be enhanced if I actually create time to spend with the Father in prayer in the morning, maybe. At least we, we see that quite often for people to be one of the most productive times for them. I connect to the vine when I spend time with you. Because you're my faith family. And there's times where the vine dresser wants to give things to me through you. He wants to highlight it. He wants to show it to me. He wants to help me. So, the calling is to abide. And yet, we've got to be proactive in that. If we wait until it naturally comes, what will happen? We won't. It's a little bit like, um, I don't know, trying to canoe up a river. If you stop paddling, what happens? Do you stay still? No, why? Because all the current flows the other way. Spiritually, the same thing happens with us. So there needs to be this intentional abiding. What is it that God promised for us if we abide? Yep, heaven. Yep, to be in the very presence of Jesus, to get to be with God. Also promises that, what, what will our fruit look like? Skimpy, small. It's going to be a lot. In fact, there'll be some, and then more, and then much. Does that mean we have to move from here to New York so we can finally have a platform where we can really do ministry? No, not necessarily. Is that a possibility? Is it a possibility that God might say to you, hey, I am going to prune you. I'm going to let you give up a place that you love so that you can go love some other people. Yeah, but that's pruning. That's the work that God does in us. What I want to challenge us and encourage us to do, Wyndham Baptist Church, my friends, my family, let's continue to abide. Let's remain responsive so that the Spirit says, hey, this is an area of sin. This has to be dealt with. Let's be responsive. Let's repent. If the Spirit, you know, if the Father calls us to uh, be pruned, let's be in tune with that. Let's make it our goal to see how we can encourage each other to bear much fruit. Let's see how we can work together to bear much fruit. Let's see how the vine can kind of grow and support itself in every different way so that everybody has their chance to bear their fruit where they should. Let me not try and put my leaves over you and say, you should do what I do. Instead, let me sit there and say, hey, let me see what I can do to help encourage fruit to grow in your life too. Thankfully, we've got a great Father who loves us deeply. So it doesn't matter if you live in rural Maine like we do. You can live a life that really bears fruit. doesn't matter if you don't have a full-time pastorate. doesn't matter if you're not married. 
It doesn't matter if you've got little kids. It doesn't matter if you don't have a million dollars. That doesn't get in the way, does it? Because your father has all these things. And he knows what you need. And you know what he said? If you ask, he'll give you what you need. So that you can what? Bear much fruit. He's not going to let your leaves get really big so that you look really impressive. He'd rather let your fruits speak for itself. Isn't that exciting? An exciting time for us. All right, let's pray. Jesus, help us, we pray. Um, help us to trust you. Help us to, to be willing. Help us to um, be willing to kind of trade what we, what we thought we had planned for our night or how we wanted to you know, kind of handle our free time. And instead, let us just be responsive to you, Holy Spirit, so that you can bear much fruit in our lives. God, we want to be productive so that others would look at the fruit that we bear and God, they would automatically go right to the vine dresser and say, wow, that must be, he must be great. That's our lives. So we want it to happen. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.